Jesus said, when you give a banquet, when you have a dinner party, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, when the man was invited to the dinner party, he knew that it had to be a mistake. To begin with, he had never been to a dinner party before in his life, and this one was being hosted by all the religious bigwigs in the area. Imagine a table with the Methodist pastor, the Presbyterian pastor, the Episcopal priest, the Catholic priest. But the invitation had come to the man nonetheless, and the host, the host wanted him to be there. He mulled over the possibility of going for a few days. He weighed out all the pros and the cons. You know, from what he could tell by the invitation, it was going to be a really boring party. These weren't really the type of people known for having fun. But they were the people with power. And he apparently had a place at the table, so he decided to go. When he got to the house, he was immediately overwhelmed with the opulence. It was as if... It had been taken right out of a Better Homes and Garden magazine, and he was worried about touching anything and everything. He spent hours fretting over what to wear. And even though he had settled on jeans and a button-up shirt, he was clearly underdressed because all the men were wearing suits and all the women were in long, flowing dresses. Nevertheless, he tiptoed through room after room with the occasional nod toward the other guests and he until he heard a simple bell ringing from the other side of the house. And he assumed that the time had come for them to eat dinner. He entered into the dining room and was immediately bombarded by a bartender who wanted to know his order. He said, do you have any wine? And the bartender said, why, sir, we have the cob filled to the brim with a great variety of years and regions. Shall I make a recommendation? And he said, how about you bring me a glass of the stuff that nobody else wants? That'll be good enough for me. And the bartender was furious. The man then turned toward the dining room to take in its perfection. Because the settings were beautiful, the napkins looked as if they had been folded by a professional origami artist. He felt all the eyes in the room on him as he made his way over to the table. But before he had a chance to pull out a chair, there was a man next to him. The man next to him winced and reached for his lower back. Is something wrong? said the man. The man was now doubled over and said, I threw out my back this morning and I thought I had worked it out, but now I feel like it can't move and honestly, it's getting hard to breathe. So he took the man by the hand. He led him over to the table and he pushed all the plates out of the way and all the napkins out of the way and all the cutlery out of the way and all the cups out of the way and he laid the man down on the table. He fussed for a few moments, poking here and there while muttering things under his breath. And immediately everyone gathered around the table in a tight circle and all of their jaws were on the floor. And the man could hear them. Has he no decency? Where are his manners? And then the host walked in, saw the commotion and shouted, What in the world do you think you're doing on my dining room table? So the man looked up from his makeshift examining table, and he simply shrugged his shoulders and said, Hey, if it was your kid, if it was your spouse, wouldn't you do everything to fix it right then and there? 
and no one said anything. So the man with the back problem promptly got off the table, now fit as a fiddle, and the hired help rushed in and put everything back into its proper place on the table. With a wave of his hand, the host encouraged everyone to find their seats so the feast could begin. And yet the man, the man who had already offended everyone in the room, noticed that all the guests rushed to seats as close to the host as possible. And he stood there in silence, observing their frantic frenzy of power dynamics, and he contented himself to remain in silence by the side of the room until he noticed there was only one seat left for him. And it was in the midst of a profoundly uncomfortable silence that he refused to sit down, and everyone in the room looked at him once again. He said, hey, the next time any of you go to a party, don't sit in the best places. You never know who else might have been invited. And then you're going to have to give up your seat, and you're going to have to go sit at the kid table. So don't you think it would be better if you started off at the kid table, and that way the host would come in and say, hey, what are you doing here? Come back to the adult table with the rest of us. And again, no one said a word. The man took it as a sign that he should keep going. So he said, hey, where has all the humility gone? And there is this great and wonderful joy, not only to a few, that comes with real humility. It comes not because humility earns you anything, but it brings a newfound sense of joy from not having to be in control of every little thing in your life. When you're humble, you can finally enjoy the party instead of trying to be responsible for it. So the guests started to fidget uncomfortably in their chairs. He said, look at yourselves. If you keep showing up at these things and you only choose the best seats, you're going to cut yourselves off from all the other places and all the other people at the table who, in my experience, are the only ones who know how to have any fun. I know some of you would rather die than have to sit at the kid table. But dying, dying to all of that might be the best thing you could ever do. Man, it really started to feel like he was on a roll. And the more he talked, the more he gestured with his glass of cheap red wine that kept spilling out over all the oriental rugs. So he stared deeply into the eyes of everyone at the table. All of the winners, all of the priests, all of the pastors, people who were so self-satisfied with all they had done, with all they had earned, and he began to pity them. He instantly knew that to these people, this was the most important moment of their week. The jockeying around for power, doing everything they could to impress the person to their left or to their right. And so he continued. He said, just go ahead and die. Go ahead and die to everything you think you've done. Die to everything you think you've earned for yourself, because none of you are good anyway. And if, only if, you're able to die to that, then maybe you'll learn how to start having some fun. And he sat down. Over the next hour, the guests ate in silence as multiple courses of food were brought forward. And they were silent. They were either so moved by his words or infuriated by them that they did not know what to say or what to do. The evening came to its Inevitable conclusion, and the guests began to express their gratitude to the host, promising to return the favor by having the host come to their respective house in the future. And the man felt another rally coming along. He said, hey, you all need to throw away the book. What did he just say? You need to take that book, you need to throw it out in the trash, and you need to leave it there forever. What book are you talking about? He said, the book you've been keeping in your head about who owes you what. 
You're so stupidly stuck in all your bookkeeping that you're trying to keep your world together and you can't even see how quickly it's ripping at its seams. Why don't you just let it all go? I mean, what good does it do you to climb the social ladder by inviting people just to have them invite you back? You already have everything you need. Next time, why don't you try inviting the wrong people? I mean, think about how much fun you could have at a table surrounded by the last, the least, the lost, the little, even the dead. Because I promise you, you will never really be happy until the bookkeeping stops. Until you learn how to let go of your clenched hand. Because if your hand is clenched, no one can grab it to bring you on the dance floor of life. The guests, again, looked upon the scene with disbelief at a man with no sense of manners at all. And they, along with the host, they fumed. Anyway, he said, thanks for the evening, I guess. The wine was okay, the food was good, but the conversation, to die for. (laughs) And then he left. And it was only after he left that one of the guests said to the host, who in the world was that guy? And the host said, his name's Jesus. And I'm going to kill him for what he did tonight. If you want to take Jesus' words from the parable at the dinner party literally, go for it. It's fine. But all you really do is ruin, all you really do is ruin your evening. Because if we invite the wrong people over, they're not going to invite us back to their houses, nor would we really want to go to their houses in the first place. But again, these parables, they're not here for us to understand how we are supposed to live. They function to show how God lives for us. Because Jesus is the one who destroys the expectations of the dinner party crowd. And he does it again and again in his ministry. Jesus is critical. He's very critical, though we like to forget that or ignore it sometimes. He is critical because he wants to destroy all of our favorite and all of our foolish expectations. Being first, being found, being big or important or alive, they don't really matter in the kingdom of God. They don't matter because Jesus didn't come to make the first firster or the found founder or the important importanter or the alive aliver. He came to raise the dead. And we can die. We can die to the desire to sit in the best places. We can die to the bookkeeping that keeps us awake at night. We can really die to all of it because Jesus already has. Look, it's as if Jesus is sneaking into the dinner parties of our lives, witnessing all of our jockeying for power, all of our comparing, and all of our bookkeeping, just to pull up a chair next to us and whisper in our ear, why are you doing this? Why are you doing all this when I've already thrown out the book on you? Why are you keeping score when I don't? God already nailed all of your sins to my cross. The past present, the future. So go ahead and die. Die to all of that so that you can finally start having some fun. So hear Jesus today. Hear him through scripture and song and silence and sermon. Hear him through the sacrament to which we are invited at the table. And for as much as we'd like to argue against it, we are the poor. We are the crippled. We are the lame. We are the blind. We are the ones not invited to the good dinner party. 
But we're the ones invited to Christ's dinner party, an invitation we cannot repay. And the only thing he wants us to do is to have fun. So I offer this to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Years ago, one of my professors from seminary was once asked why the disciples uh, continued to stay uh, with the church even when they were being persecuted, even when they were being murdered. What made those early Christians stay with the church? You know what his answer was? Because the gospel is fun. You don't stick with something that's a losing proposition. You don't stick with something that's boring or droll. You stick with something because it's fun. When, when has the church been fun? I mean, I know Christians. I know all of you. We walk around with our chins and our heads hung low. Christians are supposed to be the people who walk around with their heads high in the sky, filled with joy, because we know how to have fun, because we know how the story ends. Being a Christian is supposed to be the greatest thing in the world. You know, a couple weeks ago, my family and I went to this place called Two Silos. It's out in Manassas. It's a big farm, farmhouse, brewery, bandstand kind of thing. And there was this, this cover band, and they were playing Beach Boy songs. And my son, three years old, kept running away from me so he could go dance by himself on the dance floor, and he was going crazy. I mean, crazy. <laughs> and there was this guy sitting next to me, and he said, gosh, I wish I could have fun like that. I said, there's literally no one else on the dance floor. Go. What is stopping you from having fun? Man, the gospel is fun. It's a party. It's joy. It is a party to which none of us should have been invited, and yet we get to come in anyway. Because the hope says, hey, I'm the follower of the bride. And I'm glad you're here. It's hard. It's hard to know if that's true if we're not having any fun with our faith. We should be dancing. We should be joyous. Because we've got the best news the world has ever heard. Because we know that death isn't the end. Because we know about the cross. The gospel is fun. At the very least, it should be. So with that, let's pray. Lord, we say you are a good God. And we forget that you're also a fun God. But you are a God with a sense of humor because you've made all of us. And Lord, look at us. Look what you've made. You are a God of humor because you have made us with the freedom to do the wrong thing. To make the wrong choice. To say the wrong words. And yet, you still welcome us into the dinner party again and again and again. That's funny. It's good news. It's good news because you're never going to keep us from having fun. That even in our deaths, you were there to grab us and say, hey, the party is happening and I am here so that you can get in. Help us, O Lord, to remember that the dance floor is open. That there is nothing in our faith that bars us from being people who know really what it means to have fun. And we know this, O Lord, because we know that on the night in which your son had his final dinner party with his friends, he took bread and said, hey, guys, eat some of this. It's good. I'm giving it for you. Don't you ever forget it. 
We know that it was fun, O Lord, because then your son took a cup filled to the brim with wine. He said, dudes, you got to drink it all. This is my blood. I'm giving it for you and for the world, for the forgiveness of sin. Don't you ever forget it. So, Lord, don't let us ever forget the dinner party at which your son was the host. The dinner party that is made manifest for us here week after week. A foretaste of the party that knows no end. The one to which we are invited with an invitation that can never be taken away. And so it is in the knowledge of your love and fun for us, O Lord, that I pray out that you might pour out your Holy Spirit on all of us gathered here and on these gifts of bread in the cup. By your Spirit, make them be for us the body and the blood of your Son, that in feasting we might be more like his body redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, O Lord, make us a people who know what it means to rejoice, to celebrate, and to have fun. For if this isn't fun, O Lord, then what in the world is? Amen. Amen.